going to finish off the Pray uh, series. So I wanted to start by telling you this. Uh, I come to you today in many ways as a fellow struggler in thinking, I don't pray right, or I don't pray enough, something is wrong. I come to you from there, but at the same time, I come to you from the place that God has um, invaded my life, and I've experienced the power of God through prayer repeatedly. So I just Episode one, we began to hear about the need for praying for God's power. Episode two, we, uh, we were praying for God to activate us, that we would be active in sharing our faith, that this would be a partnership kind of thing with Him. And when we do that, we would begin to understand the fullness of God. Episode three, we talked about the power of understanding our unity. When we pray for unity as believers... Um, what, what we asked that we would learn, what would happen? What could we imagine that was there? And when we come together, we can transform the world. Today is episode four, the finale of prayer, and we all know what it's like to want to know what is best. For insight into this kind of universal longing, we're going again to the Apostle Paul, and we're going to look at a prayer that he made for the Philippian church. He prays for those that he loves dearly, that they would know what is best and how to discern that. And that's what we wanted to do as well. So have you ever asked this question or one like it? What university or post-secondary opportunity should I go with? I mean, knowing what is best obviously would be such a great thing, right? Helps you speed along this process. Perhaps you're trying to make a purchase and you're in the store, do I buy it now or do I buy it later? Like, what should I do? How is the right going to come to me? Should I buy this one? Should I buy that one? I wish I knew what was best. Maybe it's an investment, and I've got some, some extra capital around, and I want, to, I want to think about my future. So do I make this investment or, or that kind of investment? You're, you're trying to figure it out. You're reading about it. You're trying to decide which is the best way to do. You really want to know what's best. Perhaps it's something maybe as simple as this. Should I post that comment on Facebook? Should I repost that article that I didn't read, but I like the title of? I wish I knew what was best. Honestly, who doesn't want to know that, right? We would all like all of our decisions to be risk-free and consequence-free, but that just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen if you're at church online and you're sitting at home in your pajamas drinking coffee. doesn't matter if you're at church on Main Street and you're sitting here not drinking coffee. That's the essence of Paul's prayer to his friends in Philippi. Paul wrote a letter to the city of Philippi, to the churches that were actually there. Um, we, have a, we have copies of this ancient manuscript, and it has been added into a collection of ancient documents known as the New Covenant, or more popularly known as the New Testament. And the New Testament is the second major section of a larger collection of ancient manuscripts known as the Bible. For ease of labeling, each individual ancient manuscript is collected in the Bible is known as a book. So we are going to look at the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. Um, at home, 
wherever you are. You can use your smartphone, your tablet if you want to do that as well. Maybe use the free app, version to look it up. Philippians chapter 1. As you're going there, I want to give you a little bit of context about where we are and what's going on here. So um, I want you to know also that you don't have to worry because I spent hours making sure that you could follow along on the screens up here or the screens here, depending on how you're watching. Uh, Paul, such an incredibly important historical figure, uh, an apostle, he has laid out for us really a foundation of Christianity. He wrote almost a third of the entire New Testament. That's Paul. This really important fella, uh, he's writing to Philippi from Rome. And in Rome, he's a prisoner. He does not know if or when he will be executed. These might very well be his last days on earth. He doesn't know. He's in prison in Rome, and he's waiting to speak to the emperor about his case and his faith. And he's writing to these people whom he loves. And just before where we are, verse 3, he says, you know what, guys? I thank my God every time I think of you. So imagine a relationship for you. Every time you think of this person, you want to thank God for them. You love them deeply. This is the context that we're looking at. So remember, even though you love them, this is a letter, and you're going to write to them, and you might not ever get to communicate with them again. This might be the last thing. So whatever you're going to pray for them, well, it's going to be of pretty big importance, isn't it? This might be your last chance to communicate your love to them. And so within this context, that's where Philippians is. That's where we are when we get to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So verse 9, and this is my prayer, that, you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you will be able to discern what is best. When we begin to break down this prayer a little bit, we study it, we see Paul saying, okay, pray that your love would abound more and more. The first thing that logically, logically comes to my mind is, well, what kind of love are you talking about, Paul? What, what do you mean when you say love? My, 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 may my love in, in, increase. There's a lot of different kinds of loves. And today we, uh, we love our mom and we love our parents. We love our spouse. We love our phones. We love a sunny day and we love coconut cream pie, especially if Sharon makes it. What kind of love are you talking about, Paul? The Greek language makes it a lot more clear. Love just means love in English, but in the Greek you can, you can specify, and they use the word here, agape. Agape is the uh, unconditional love that comes from God. It's a love that doesn't just give us what we think we want, it gives us what we actually need. It is always in our best interest. And Paul says, I want this kind of love, this agape, this unconditional love. I want it to abound more and more in both knowledge and depth of insight. So to paraphrase, you're going to experience this love. And it's going to transform you from the inside and it's going to burst out. You're going to experience something so deep inside you that it changes the way that you act. It changes the way you think. It's going to renew your mind. And you know what this is like if you're a parent. When you have a child, that new love 
transforms the way you do things. When you haven't been in love before and you finally meet up with that person and you're Twitter-pated and you got the things that build butterflies in your belly, it suddenly transforms you. You're no longer the same. You don't act the same. You have love that is abounding and it transforms you. Transforms the way you think, transforms the way you act, transforms the things that you value, the things that you do. God expresses this unconditional love to us in so many different ways. But one of the ways that he will do it is he will use another follower of Christ, somebody who knows Jesus who's around you. And God will utilize those people to speak love and to speak truth um, and, and to share this kind of agape love into your life. Let it seep in. And a loving conversation has the ability to give new awareness. Uh, then, then there's that kernel of discernment in there that can change the way that you see yourself and changes the things that you do. And once you have this new insight, you can't forget it. You can't unsee it. That's what Paul is saying. You're not going to see it the same way anymore. And all of a sudden, you see God's word differently. You experience it in such a way that it begins to transform the way you act, the way you see where other people look at a situation and they see there's, there's just desperation, there's, there's nothing there, there's no hope, you say no. Because you can start to see God at work. You see God doing something different. Why? Because the love of God has just grown up more and more inside of you, both in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you will be able to discern what is best. We have to begin to let the love of God transform us from the inside out, and it changes the way that we do things. How do I know what's best? I want to know what's best. I've got situations. I've got confusing things in front of me. How do I know what's best? These are big things. I want to get it right. It's a great question. And if you're taking notes, here's a key thought for you today. It's not profound. The key to knowing what's best is knowing God. Just that simple. It's just that complicated. It's just that simply complicated. The way to knowing what's best is knowing God. That's the idea behind when we say the earnest pursuit of Jesus. So that I would know. So that I would learn. So that I would understand. So that the character of Jesus would become more and more familiar to me. And that's why we gather in community, whether physically or digitally, together, fidget, fidgetally, something like that, right? That's why we engage at church. That's why we're in growing relationships with those around us, so that we can learn and practice and experience what God is like and what he reveals himself in our midst. Jesus promised us that he would never leave us and never forsake us. He promised us that whenever two or three gather in his name, that he would be there. And that's, that's why you're here, isn't it? Whether you've been here for years or this is your first time, this is the essence of why you're here. You really want to know God. That's, that's kind of what it's all about. The key to knowing what is best is found in knowing God. So how do you know God? Yes, <laughs> you're right. This is a really complicated thing to describe. You also probably need to know right off the top that it doesn't always happen the way that 
you want or in the manner that you would choose or the timing that you would choose either. It's also important to know that God already knows you. He knows that you're not like the person sitting near you or sitting around you. You are a unique individual. That's the way that God treats you too. God, when He connects with you, um, it will not likely look the same as connecting with somebody else. It's going to be special, unique for you. And God is omniscient and God is uh, omnipotent. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He can express His love to you in an infinite number of different ways. So I want to tell you a story. And in this story, you might see discernment in action. This is not the only way that it can happen, but this is a way that it unfolded before me. So I know this story. And as I was trying to discern what was best, I knew that the best thing to do would be to pursue Jesus, to know God, and to know Him more intensely. So through a process of working through uh, decisions, I'm going to describe to you three of these uh, great pillars that we can utilize um, when we understand trying to seek God, to understand what He's like. So about 11 years ago, I entered a time of transition. I, what do you think you should do now, right? I was convinced that it was time to go to a new place, a new job. But what does that mean? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't have that job. I don't know where I'm going. Where, where should I go? Um, what does God have for me now? Is, is it going to be in ministry? Is, am I going to have to start to look at a new field? I really did not have clarity. I mean, there was background itches. You could sort of see things that were coming up, but nothing foreground and nothing concrete. Start a church. What? I don't know about that. That's kind of an all-in kind of thing right there, and I'd really like to know for sure, right? I'd like to, to know that there's no doubt at all, that there's no second thoughts at all, right? I mean, have you ever been in a situation like that? So here's what I did. I began taking steps forward to see what I could see from a little farther ahead. You think God's calling you to start a church? Of course not. Why would he call me to do that? Honestly, I have no idea how to do that. That's the kind of job that somebody else has, right? Somebody else has that kind of a job, and they have it because they're smarter than I am right? And somebody more gifted than I am would do that kind of a thing. So I hope somebody shows up for that. Because if it's all up to me, then there's no way that this would ever happen. But do you know who knows best? Do you know who sees farther? Do you know who can work in all things? Even working through me? God. God knows what's best. God chose to work in partnership with each of us. And for each of us, that's going to look a little bit different. And the great thing is that when God begins to move, even all of my incompetence is not enough to stop Him. I need to know what's best. This is a big decision. The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. How do I know God? There's a bunch of ways that God moves in direction. And into one, we like to call these things next steps. And so wherever you are today, there is a next step for you. There's a, there's a whole section 
at intoone.ca called Next Steps to help you guide, uh, guide yourself through this process. And here's what I did. I began to seek godly counsel. I began to ask people around me whom I trusted, whom I believed in, who I knew followed Christ with everything in them. Maybe they'd been in ministry before, maybe not. Maybe they had just been further down the road and I wanted to try and glean some wisdom from them. Maybe they were newer to the faith than I was, but they were earnestly pursuing Jesus. Solomon, uh, he was a king who compiled the, uh, the book of Proverbs. He taught this principle. He wrote, for the lack of counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, plans succeed. So there, there's a lot of wisdom in that very short phrasing. One statement in the book of Proverbs. So often we, we keep it locked up to ourselves, right? I don't want you to think that I'm weird because of the idea that I just shared with you. So I don't tell you about it. Now you won't think that I'm weird. But you want to know what's best. How do we do that? We begin to seek godly counsel around you. And we see if God doesn't begin to speak through the leaders and the people that God has already placed within your sphere of influence. Godly leaders whom you trust. So we are a community. We're supposed to move together on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ, right? But we're also supposed to discern together. You're not supposed to stand alone in this. We're to help each other out. So not every piece of advice or guidance that you're going to get is going to move you forward. You need to continually discern you can expect dissenting voices. That's just the way it works. Listen to them well also. They can help you shave rough edges off you, things that you've overlooked, things that you're not noticing about yourself, and you'll see a consensus. There will be something that sounds louder to you, not louder in the room, but louder to you that emerges. Number two is I prayed. I prayed. I learned to not just pray for an answer to my question, but I began to pray for a much more clear sense of the presence of God about me in all things. God, reveal yourself to me in all these different things. Let me be involved with you. Let me sense you, respond to you, um, watch you, be encouraged by you, submit to you in my general living and not just in the area that I'm concerned about right now. So much of the time we think, of prayer is talking to God. We talk to God. We, we praise Him and we, we thank Him for stuff. We thank Him for who He is. We confess to Him and all this stuff and we pray. But seldom do we listen. That's a weird thing, right? Listening in prayer. I don't know how to do that. That sounds odd. But prayer is a conversation. It's talking to God, but it's also learning to listen to God. It's amazing in our relationships around us, we know this kind of thing. It's natural. We understand this. No problem at all. So, gentlemen, if you were to come home one night and uh, say to your wife, or she says to you, how was your day? And, and you tell her, however so briefly, as we gentlemen tend to do, right? Just the basics, just the facts, ma'am, uh, how it went. And then in response, sort of reciprocal, you go, and how was your day, honey? and then you walk off. If you do that, you know that your night is not going to be a good night. No, sir. You need to listen. You need to listen and not just talk. I begin to pray, and here's, here's what happened. God began to prompt me, not just once, but several times. 
Sometimes they seemed unrelated. Sometimes they seemed overwhelming. Sometimes you'll just hear people say, God spoke to me. And that freaks people out, honestly. That's where most people are with that. It's kind of a big deal, though, if it actually does happen. And I'm really cautious about using this kind of language. When I say that God spoke to me, I mean he prompted me. Uh, I I mean that he gave me an insight. I mean that um, he gave me a new depth to something previously known. He repeatedly brings a thought to me. I hear the same thing coming from different places around. I'm really very cautious not to say to other people, God told me, now you have to. When God speaks to me, it's not a place for me to claim um, my authority over other people. But what I say is because God spoke to me. Right? The conversation was with God for me. It's not a universal principle. It's not usually an audible voice. I use the image frequently to, to say that God is pressing it on me. It's pressing in upon me. I, I, I sense that there's something coming at me in that way. He doesn't usually come and say, Graham, uh, what, you, what I need you to do is this specific thing at this specific place and uh, change your shirt, change your shirt. That shirt, that specific shirt is the one I want you wearing. Sometimes I wish he would. You know, sometimes I think that would be a whole lot easier. Maybe you think the same thing. But that easier doesn't mean better, right? It just means that it would take less effort on my part. It's more like an internal prompting. It's like God just lets you know, you need to do this. And it's almost like a voice that comes up from the inside of you. It's so loud you can't ignore it. It's this compel- compelling thing from inside that you, you just, you gotta go. You gotta, you gotta do something. You gotta share something. You gotta give something. You gotta write something. You gotta, you gotta go somewhere. Whatever it is. Maybe you've felt that before as you've prayed. As you listen to God in prayer. What do you do? You're trying to know what's best. The key to knowing God is knowing what, the key to what's, knowing what's best is knowing God. And you hear Paul's prayer. I want this love to abound more and more. And, and it, how, how, how are we going to do that? We seek God the counsel. We pray and we listen to God, what he's saying to it. And then we respond to it. We don't ignore it. We respond to it. And third, we look for God's word. I read God's word. I listen to him speak to me through it. <clears throat> now, in my process, I'm, I'm growing this growing sense that, that maybe we should continue to walk forward on this path. Maybe we continue to stretch out our faith to walk in this thing called trust. Wouldn't it be helpful if there was a passage of Scripture that somehow came alive, that was glowing in some way, that represented uh, a new or profound thing? What it means is that in this decision-making process, I'm trying to figure out direction. So God speaks to me through his word and he says, here, this is what I'm trying to tell you. And what happens is that going forward, I can kind of come back and I can hang my hat back on that, that passage, that verse. And many times, as we know, if you're going to follow God and do what he says, many times it will be in opposition to what are naturally logical Uh, worldly standards. It's helpful to have something to come back to, to anchor you from, to remind you and to reset your thinking. That's where John 17, 22, and 23 comes onto the scene 
for into one. Jesus is praying. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. And then verse 23, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected into one. That the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That was a key stop on my road trip to know him more, to let his love abound more and more inside, both in knowledge and in depth of insight for me. The verse has helped me to discern what is best. This is what we need to be about, right? This is the essence of what Paul's praying here to his dear friends in the church, in the city of Philippi. Let God's love, his agape love, let it abound more and more inside of you so that when you do this, you will be able to discern what is best. No matter what the situation that life throws at you. Are we going to be okay? How will, I, how will I do what I've never done before? It seems like an awfully big deal. And so stories can help remind me when God has done something in the past so that I can trust him in my present and in my future. So here's a story. It's pretty famous. Uh, you probably heard it or at least parts of it, some snippets from it. Starts uh, where we're going to go is Numbers chapter 11. This is a historical book in the Old Testament, and it's called Numbers. Doesn't sound all that exciting. Moses is on the scene, and he had just finished leading all of the Israelites out of their Egyptian slavery. They'd been crying out to God, release us, bring deliverance to us. And so God sent Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. No. <laughs> And then God sends plague after plague after plague, 10 plagues. And finally, Pharaoh relents and says, fine, go, all right? Get out of here. I don't want you around anymore. And so they pack up and they go and they head out onto the trail. They get there and then there's this major moment where God parts the Red Sea and they go on to the other side into the desert. And God is supernaturally providing food for them, bread from heaven called manna. God sent it down. They would go out and collect it, and then they would uh, uh, grind it up, and they'd whip it up into some sweet cakes that they would eat. Uh, sounds great. However, there was a problem. They grew tired of manna. They had been eating it over and over, day after day after day, again and again and again. And the Israelites were beginning to grumble. And that's a good word, because I understand grumbling. Suffering, succotash. Forget about the slavery. Don't remember that. Forget that God set us free from that, delivered us. Because you know what? That was like days ago, all right? And I'm upset because I'm just about tired of eating manna every single meal of the day. And that's where we pick it up. Numbers chapter 11, verse 5. They're grumbling. We remember the fish. Oh, the fish. Do you remember the fish? We used to eat and eat shit that had no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, leeks, onions, garlic. Oh, it was so good. I wish I had some of that right now. Maybe, maybe we could still go back and see if Pharaoh will give us our old slave jobs back. Verse 6. But now 
We've lost our appetite. We never have anything but this manna. How ridiculous, right? You've been delivered from bondage and slavery and you're worried about your fresh spices and your leeks and your onions and your garlic. But we kind of do the same thing, right? God, please bring about this, this incredible situation. And then God moves. He does something powerful. And you're like, I don't even want that anymore. Move along. Here's the next thing that I'm going to start to complain about. Moses, he's upset hearing this. He's fired up. I got a wee bit of, God got a wee bit upset about this also. And Moses now begins this conversation with God. Moses says, Flip it over to verse 12. Did I conceive all of these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised an oath to their ancestors? 13. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. 14. I cannot carry all of these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Verse 15. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead, kill me. Sounds an awful lot like complaining. He's complaining to God. He's arguing with God. He's telling God all this stuff. What's happening? What's going on right here? Moses is praying. That's what Moses is doing here. You just don't see it like that because it doesn't look like your typical kind of prayer. Now, does it? He's talking to God. We would categorize that in the Christian world as prayer. Moses is being real. He's saying, I'm tired of these people. They want their leeks and their garlic and all this nonsense. Where am I going to get meat for them, God? I don't understand. You know what? You know what? Just kill me. I'm tired of dealing with all these people. He's being honest. He's being real. And many times, many of us could probably use a good dose of being honest, being real with God. That could be part of your prayer life, full of honesty. And then we could quit saying all that fancy, fake kind of stuff like, Oh, sovereign Lord, omnipotent Father, your servant Moses bows humbly before you. It's not what he's saying. It's nothing like that. Moses is like, you're going to treat me like this? This is what i got to deal with? Whatever. Just kill me. I'm tired of these people. Moses is getting frustrated. Some of you don't like prayer. You're not comfortable in prayer because you don't allow yourself to be real in it. You, you, you find, like, i got to get the right words. i got to say it the right way. Otherwise, someone's going to say that it's not a good enough prayer. God's big enough for you to tell him what you're thinking, for you to release to him what you're actually feeling. You act like God requires some sort of pretense from you, some sort of theological language. God already knows your thoughts. Just go and tell him. It'll feel better for you. Trust me. So Moses listens to God. And God says to him in verse 16, Bring me 70 of Israel's leaders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting uh, that they may stand here with you. Verse 17, I will come down and speak with you there. 
I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it all alone. Seek godly counsel. Check this out. I'm going to put people around you, Moses, that are going to help you. The story continues. So here's you know, a quick summary here. And Moses, I'm going to give them some meat. All right? But not for a day. Not for a week. Moses is going to be, check out verse 20, for a whole month until it comes out of their nostrils and you loathe it. What does Moses do? He goes, hold on a second, God. I don't know if you've been looking. Verse 21. Here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a month. Verse 22. Would, would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? I can't feed them all. Are you kidding? Are you nuts, God? How is this even going to work? Verse 23, the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And God just says to me the same thing he said to Moses. Is the Lord's arm too short? Graham, do you think that starting this, this new church is too much for me? And do you think that you are all on your own? I was asking all the wrong questions. All along. And I had, I had no idea that I had the wrong, uh, the wrong lens. I thought I wanted to know what was best, but by the questions I was asking, I didn't really want to know what was best. What I was asking is, what's easiest? What's safest? What guarantees me? What makes me feel good? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've begun to ask the wrong questions. And then God transformed our world. His love abounded more and more as I got to know Him in this new way. As we sought counsel, as we prayed, as we listened. Is the Lord's arm too short? Just wait and see what I can do. Just wait and see what I can do in you. Just wait and see what I can do through you. The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. How do I know God? There may be many ways, but you can definitely seek some counsel, listen to him in prayer, talk to him and be real Look at his word. Allow him to speak to you, through you, as you read it. And as Paul prayed for the people that he loved in Philippi, I pray for you today. I pray, Lord, that everyone who can hear my voice right now, that their love for you, the agape love, that only you can bring, would abound more and more in our lives, both in knowledge and in depth of interest, so that you will be able to discern what is best. So uh, whether you're at church on Main Street here with me or whether you're at church online, pray with me, please. Father, I thank you that through your power and your word, we can begin to know what is best. And I pray 
that you today, that you would reveal your truth through your word to our hearts, through our heads and get it to somewhere that's important. God, there are many today who could resonate with this because they are in a spot where there's a decision facing them right now. And what they need desperately is to know what is best in that decision. Father, as those who you love, we come before you with these situations that have been placed in our lives. And we know that you are at work in the midst of them, whether they seem good to us or whether they seem bad to us. We know that you work all things out for those who love you. And Father, we love you. We trust you. We are trimming our sails towards your wind. We are in earnest pursuit of you. Hear our prayers, transform our hearts, and lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us to where you would have us to go. Lead us to where we will meet with you more clearly. Cause my path to overlap yours. We look forward to seeing you in our lives 